Hey, everybody. I'm David Garbett. Welcome to another episode of O2 and You. I'm excited about my guest today, Nate Bluen, joining me from, uh, like all other guests these days, from, from home. Uh, Nate is the policy manager at uh, Interwest Energy Alliance. He is a master public administration from Brown. <laughs> probably, I'm going to make a statement here, Nate, nobody can challenge me on this, but I think probably the fastest miler, 5K or 10K or ever to appear on the show. Oh. Can I say that? I, I said it. Let's anyway, go. Nate, welcome. It's great to have you here. It's good to be on. Thanks for having me, uh, having me on to talk today. This will be exciting. Yeah. Excellent. Well, we brought you on today because it has been a very exciting past week. And uh, things have really changed with Joe Biden. Um, You've uh, been active politically. I mean, you're working in a space on clean energy, but before uh, November's election, you got involved here in Utah in organizing people to uh, help um, the Biden campaign, is specifically showing him that clean energy is important to people and that Biden was important to that. And, you know, I just have to say the past week of the Biden administration, and we'll talk more about this, I've never seen anything like this and it feels amazing. And to have a, an administration that comes in and seems more intent on pursuing bold policy, on rewarding those who helped Biden come um, to the White House than in saying, you know, oh, what does Mitch McConnell want? This is, it's an exciting day. So uh, really looking forward to, to talking to you. Have I ever sold the last week? No, it's been huge. I think uh, the, just, you know, the executive order I think came out on Wednesday and, and that was uh, longer than, than what I've seen and just really went into some great details about uh, the, I can, kind of the overall policy um, platforms of, of some of the stuff Biden talked about on the campaign uh, and then also you know went a lot deeper and started to explain you know how these things might actually get implemented and what uh, what the administration might actually do to fulfill some of their promises so uh, yeah it's been an exciting week there's been uh, well, I think it I'm kind of bummed. I think it got a little bit overshadowed by the whole GameStop situation but we <laughs> have to go into that I was hoping to see even you know more uh, more of the political press talking about uh, Biden's climate initiatives, but maybe it'll be good. Maybe it'll fly under the radar a little bit and uh, um, allow him to do a little bit more in some areas. So. Yeah. Before we go too far down that road, though, let's talk a little bit about you, um, why you're interested in these these issues and, and things that, that people should know about you. Yeah, so I, I, I uh, as you mentioned, work in the renewable energy industry. I um, cover a few states, both in the legislative and regulatory space, um, promoting renewable energy, working with uh, develop renewable energy developers um, primarily, and, and just trying to create new markets for renewables, um, you know, cover Utah and three other states around us. Um, so when I moved to Utah in 2009, I moved out here to ski. Uh, I did that for a while, did the whole outdoorsy thing. Um, had a lot of fun doing it. Finally, like five years after I moved out or so, kind of went back to school, did the growing up thing. Um, but that's always been my passion. It's been outdoors, uh, running, skiing, whatnot. Mm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I went back to, to grad school a couple of years ago and it didn't really have a, uh, 
any specific path in mind at that point, but uh, the, just coming back to Utah um, after school back east, I kind of started playing around in my head what I wanted to do next. And um, renewable energy seemed like the, you know, it's a growing field. It's, it's already, I think we can call it an incumbent industry. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's established, it's, it's making things happen, but it's, there's a lot of room to grow. And, and I think uh, uh, we're, <laughs> we're going to see it take off for the next, hopefully four years at least. And uh, a lot of what happened this week is kind of setting the stage for that. Do you, you know, and a quick thing on this, I feel like renewable energy is so exciting. Um, I, I tell people a lot, whatever you think, you know, the state of renewable energy is, you're probably thinking of what it was five years ago because renewables are so um, much more competitive and in many places are the cheapest form of power today that it's this really exciting time where we actually have really strong market forces working in the right direction. Um, but it seems like people are realizing probably the biggest, most important bottleneck right now to making all this happen is transmission. Something otherwise you'd say like, ah, boring, but how do you get these resources? How do you get that wind from places like Wyoming from the Dakotas to where people need them? How do you get the solar? You know, we know in Utah, for example, some of the best solar resources are in the southwest corner of the state where there aren't a lot of people. How do you get that resource to the population centers and its transmission? How'd yeah. you end up in the sexy industry of 2021? Yeah, transmission is, uh, we do a lot of work, not specific, our, our members don't, some of them build transmission or, or trying to build transmission, but um, you know, the real work is to um, just lay the groundwork for tr just transmission in general to get built. Um, so yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Transmission, I think, is what um, is preventing places like Wyoming from really, I would say, prospering. You know, they, there's been a lot of discussion specifically over the last couple of weeks with, with the federal leasing. Um, you know, they're going to have to find a way to recover from um, losing those revenues and, and They've been resistant up there uh, to, to building renewables, but um, transmission would really unlock that market a bit and, and allow um, wind to, you know, kind of cover some of the, the lulls in solar uh, down in California, for example, um, and, and really, you know, resource diversity is a, a huge thing that, you know, if you're not super familiar with renewables, you probably don't know much about, but um, just the ability of, of wind and solar to work together uh, to, you know, when one's one's burning hot, the other one may be down. And, uh, and that kind of balance is huge. Um, but that also means you need kind of geographic diversity. So both resource, resource and geographic, both wind, solar, you know, all over the place. Um, and, and all of that's tied together through, through transmission, which is extremely difficult to build um, because you're talking about, you know, big towers that, um, you know, they have some impacts on the land and that's something we have to acknowledge. That's maybe one of the big, um, barriers to getting a lot of transmission built is some of the viewshed impacts and um, and things like that. But um, it's also permitting, uh, you know, just dealing with federal and state and local permitting, getting everything built uh, or getting everything uh, permitted and, and laid out and uh, just navigating like probably hundreds of stakeholders in some of these processes um, is, is super complex. So um, so yeah, that's transmission in a nutshell. It's a really, it, it doesn't sound super interesting, but uh, it's something we need to do a lot more of. And, and I think there's a lot of um, 
potential there from the federal uh, administration to be able to kind of open some of that up just because of the interstate, interregional nature of it. Well, let's talk about, because I want to discuss, you know, what you expect in this area or what you'd like to see from the Biden administration. But before we get there, I think it's worth doing a quick recap. What has happened with the Biden administration in just a week? I mean, really incredible. In, in just barely over a week, some of the most aggressive, ambitious policies we've seen from an administration. Um, so exciting to have it packed so tightly together. But let's run through. I mean, do you have anyone that you'd like to start off with that has happened since he oh, took over? There's a lot. I mean, I think the first thing I would say is, you know, people is policy. Um, so the people he's, Biden has put in, in places of power are mm. like, from a professional standpoint, incredibly um, proficient at what they're doing. You know, they have deep ties to um, the renewable energy industry, to uh, to technology, to environmental causes, um, and you know it's a it's a really diverse uh, body as well. So he's he's really taken the best of the best, I think, uh, and we're already seeing that kind of bleed into the um, executive orders and uh, where we see the administration heading on on um, environmental justice, which is you know a huge concern right now. Trying to I think make up for some of the past uh, um, you know problems as far as burdening certain populations with uh, um, dangerous emissions and, and that sort of thing. So, so that's, I think that's, that's the first thing that caught my eye is just who he's, who he's hired. A lot of it, like you mentioned, kind of flowing through the clean energy for Biden campaign. I mean, the, a lot of the people that were kind of leading that up, that national effort uh, ended up, uh, that was an all volunteer effort, ended up in, um, you know, some of the different offices. There's too, <laughs> there's too many offices to name. I can't keep track of all the offices he's got established at this point. You know, he's got, John Kerry is his uh, uh, international envoy, and Gina McCarthy is his uh, domestic advisor, who are both fantastic on this stuff. And then, you know, just going down from there, the list is um, pretty. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna mention Kerry. It's, I think, it's pretty telling that he needed to be Secretary of State to prepare to be the climate envoy. So it's, it's exciting to have someone like that heading this up, and shows you the importance that they're placing on this issue. Yeah, he, he take, I saw him speak a couple of years ago, uh, and he uh, he made it a point, Kerry did, to come back kind of after the speech was wrapping up or after the conversation was wrapping up and, and like make it a point to talk about climate change for like five minutes at the end of his whole thing. Mm. Um, so he, I know he is incredibly passionate and, and has the, um, I think, respect internationally to bring us back to the table. I mean, that's what we need to do. We're, we've been gone for four years, so we've, we need to rebuild that credibility. And, and I think he can do that. Yeah, so an exciting team of people that he has surrounding him. And, and I, I totally agree with you. I mean, these things don't come out of, these executive orders don't come out of nowhere. He's clearly had some uh, sophisticated people thinking about this and thinking about how can we hit the ground running. Any um, executive order you wanna, you wanna start off on? Oh man, well, let's see the. It's, to, it's hard. I mean, there are a lot of it's. It's like an embarrassment of riches. Which which good one to start with? Yeah, he's done. Uh, let's see. I, I have a few notes here. Um, I think the. Let me just dig down here. There's, well, how about while you're pulling that up, I'll just mention. I mean, you remember, I've never seen this before, but the day he was inaugurated, that very day, he came out with an announcement that the U.S. was rejoining Paris. Yep. He. Uh, canceled the Keystone Pipeline. 
in the US authorization for the Keystone pipeline to cross over from Canada. Um, issued an order on uh, setting the ball in motion to restore Bears Ears and uh, Grand Staircase Escalani National Monuments here in Utah. Um, it was a, and that was just the first day. <laughs> and yeah, and then so I'll, I think I'll, those are like, I think the big highline things. And then in the, like, you kind of dig into the, um, the stuff that got released on this, this week was a lot of um, kind of the, the detailed stuff, which is, so maybe not like the, it's not the stuff that comes out in the headlines. It's, it's talking about, and this is all, uh, you know, this is all obviously executive branch. He's, he's going to have to figure out how to work with, uh, with Congress to, to do a lot of this stuff, but, um, or a lot of other stuff, but this stuff he can do on his own. I think that's a lot of like federal procurement. It's like, it's kind of the boring stuff that people don't think about, but it's, you know, the federal government is huge. Uh, I think it consumes some, it might be a double, double digit percentage of our energy use between the government and the DOD and, um, and all of that, the military. So, uh, just in that avenue alone, he's, um, pledged to, I think, well, his, his kind of over overarching goal is uh, it's 100% clean energy uh, electricity sector by 2035. So that's massive. That would, uh, I think the industry is, is extremely excited about that and re ready to meet that, I think, um, if the investments there, you know, along with transmission and, and all those other pieces. But um, with the executive orders, what he can do is, is say, you know, the federal government has to procure 100% uh, renewable energy in, in five years or something like that. And that will drive investment in the industry. Um, he can he can use the powers of the government to purchase like hundreds of thousands of maybe a million electric vehicles. Um, and all those things, you know, are great on their own, but they also contribute into kind of economies of scale where they're going to reduce the, um, the, the costs of these products for, um, for the general economy and, and kind of without even having to specifically spend on on research and development they're going to have that effect so um to me those are a lot of the kind of the more interesting things is he can he's already said that's that's uh how the government's kind of going to go forward is is uh, this whole of government approach was in the in the order um you know just aligning these dozens of agencies to um to do the right thing yeah i and i mean great point one of the biggest consumers of electricity, one of the biggest purchasers of vehicles in this country has said, this is what we want. And he did it in the first week. I mean, that's clearly gonna drive a big share of, of the market in that yep. direction. Yep. Uh, um, one thing I, uh, you know, that I was excited about that we haven't mentioned that ties in a little bit since we're on vehicles that that first day he also uh, committed the federal government to going back to more ambitious fuel economy standards for vehicles. And, you know, I think that's really positive on a climate front. And, and hopefully the automakers will go back to what they said they would do before Trump came into office and, and well, not fight that. But what GM uh, did it too. Yeah, well, GM, an exciting thing, GM just came out this week and said all vehicles that it sells by 2035 will be electric. Uh, no more internal combustion engine vehicles after 2035. Um, so clearly uh, telegraphing where they are headed, that's super exciting. Um, and this is great, you know, not just on the climate front, but uh, data seems to indicate that here on the Wasatch front, 
you know, the biggest improvements we've seen to air quality have probably come from the fact that over time vehicles have gotten cleaner. It's really driven by federal standards. Right. Um, you know, Utah, in spite of itself, is getting cleaner, not thanks to the state government, but having these federal standards and something as mundane sounding as fuel efficiency standards for cars, the way that plays out is that there's less pollution here in the Wasatch Front so that even as we grow with population, vehicles are getting so much cleaner um, that we'll see an overall improvement in air quality. And that's a huge thing. It's probably the biggest announcement relative to air quality here in Salt Lake of anything um, yeah. that has happened. Tier three gas has been, you know, a good thing, but uh, yeah, if we can go, go electric, I think did the Biden standard raise it to like 50 miles per gallon by 2025 or something? I don't know, maybe that's too. The, the, yeah, the, the Obama standard was 51 by 2025. And I think Biden's saying, hey, can we do it to 52 by 2026, some nice. slight, turn up because why not, I guess. Um, um, you know, one other thing to add on this too, I think is exciting that not only is the US joining, rejoining Paris climate accords, which we know needs to happen, but it's largely a symbolic gesture because it's about right. countries saying together, hey, we all commit to, to pursuing uh, policies to decarbonize and we're all gonna decide what those policies are. Well more, you know, the most important issue there is how aggressive are those policies and particularly in the United States, how aggressive are they? And this is an opportunity for the Biden administration to revisit that and say, we're really going to turn it up again a notch and be much more aggressive, which then provides that leverage to go internationally and say, hey, we stepped it up, join us. Yeah, I think that's going to be a big, uh, a big theme we see is, is international leadership, both um, in, in clean energy and in, or in climate and in all sorts of other sectors. So, um, you know, one of the other pieces of the, uh, the orders Biden's already put out is a, you know, a focus on um, the national security aspect of, mm -hmm. of uh, renewable or of, of climate change. So uh, building in, you know, there's, you know, it's getting, it's going to get built in climate change factors are going to get built into like pretty much every decision that gets made about national security and, and everywhere on down to, you know, diplomacy and all of that. And that means um, like kind of cost benefit analyses are going to factor in social costs of carbon, which, which is going to make clean, you know, clean uh, policies look a lot better from, um, from all sorts of agencies. So th those are the sorts of decisions. Yeah. Bench it. Talk about that one briefly, because that I think that's an easy one for people to gloss over. That sounds really boring. Social cost of carbon, <laughs> right? But is this critical component in reams of different decisions that federal agencies make? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I mean, I I should know more about the like, the definition of social social cost of carbon because social cost of carbon is kind of a specific. Uh, you know, you can talk about cost of carbon and that's, that can go all over the place, but social cost of carbon is basically, if I understand correctly, factoring in like the, you know, health externalities and um, all sorts of other kind of uh, economic ex externalities of, well, I guess that would kind of be the flip side, but um, yeah, I, maybe you have, maybe you don't have a better understanding. Well, I just, I mean, in a nutshell, it's saying, you know, it's sitting down and quantifying when we emit right. carbon emissions, how yeah. much of a negative effect price-wise will that have and agencies when they're evaluating regulations, 
they sit there and do that balancing of, you know, what are the benefits? Let's try and quantify them in dollar terms. And what are the costs? Let's quantify those. And surprise, surprise, you know, the Trump administration was basically saying that the social cost of carbon, it's nothing, you know, there's nothing that'll come down the road from carbon. And so that leads to all these decisions where you say, let's, uh, you know, let's lease oil and gas with no thought for tomorrow. Let's take all of these steps. Let's lower fuel economy standards. But when you properly quantify that, it figures into all of these decisions, because if you look at those actual costs, then really gives pause to these agencies to say, this thing that we might consider doing um, would bring a small amount of benefits today. But as we look at the costs that we would pay down the road, they're just too significant. We're not going to move forward with this. Yeah. Or we'll design something different. That's going to factor into, I think, more decisions than we'll ever know at the at the federal level for the next few years, and I think uh, have a have a huge positive effect. So, um, yeah, that was that was exciting to read about, and that's uh, you know that kind of factors into our work as well as far as developing renewables. I mean, you you um, if you start translating that into like resource planning and, and energy development, um, it just you know it tips the scale even more in the favor of renewable energy. So. You know, one thing I should mention on that front too, and I'm reminded of this part of that equation that goes into making different administrative rules is that the uh, Biden administration wants to fix a problem that started in the Trump administration. You know, we have this foundational law, the Clean Air Act, that empowers the EPA to, to crack down on air pollution. And part of the EPA's job is to identify what pollutants are and to set limits. What we found over time is that every single pollutant that they identify and the limit that they initially set is never protective enough of public health. And research is one directional on this, always saying like, people are being harmed before we even get to the level that you've set. You Mm -hmm. need to ratchet that down. Because science is so one directional, the Trump administration basically said like, who wants to listen to scientists? Let's get rid of these bodies that advise us and tell us what science says, who cares? By bringing that back, I think we'll see that trend continue on air pollution. And the reason that's important is because so many of the climate regulations that come out of administrations, uh, especially the way that this economic analysis is done, typically the biggest benefit they'll find from climate regulation is an immediate benefit um, in reducing air pollution. And then quantify those most easily. Uh, So for example, Obama's clean power plan his signature piece of legislation, the biggest benefit that was quantified there was the benefit to public health from reduced air pollution. So as we we improve those air quality regulations, that will come across to also really affect um, climate regulation. Yeah, I think I think one of the one of the points I maybe missed earlier was, um, you know, one of my favorite parts maybe of the the actual order that was issued earlier this week. Um, it starts off with uh, it is therefore the policy of my administration to listen to the science, to improve public health and protect our environment, to ensure access to clean air and water, to limit exposure to dangerous chemicals and pesticides. And it keeps going on. It talks about environmental justice and all of that. So uh, I just love that we are like acknowledging that science is an integral part of policy making. Science and data are, um, you know, we can't do anything without those. And for the last four years, that's exactly what we've been doing and it's been you know super regressive so 
I love I loved reading that. It's not like substantive policy, but it is uh, a message that I think needs to be sent and, uh, um, you know, goes to show how serious um, we are about taking this on right now. So that was heartening. Yeah, for sure. A great value. Do you have anything else you want to cover from the last uh, week of uh, the Biden administration? Um, you know, I think that that kind of in a nutshell sums up a bit about what the what he's released so far as far as exe executive orders go. I think the uh, you know the next maybe forward looking piece is trying to figure out how we can work with Congress to um, you know work maybe outside of the um, reconciliation process. It's going to be it's going to be difficult to figure out. You know, hopefully Biden takes his experience in the Senate and really turns it into. Um, turns it into action because, um, you know, the, the executive orders are fantastic, but um, we're not going to get to 100% clean energy by 2035 um, without, you know, a federal, federal um, either like carbon tax type policy or renewable portfolio standard type policy that sets, a, um, sets goals for, for levels of uh, renewable energy. So, um, I think that's what I'm looking for next is trying to see what uh, what he comes out with and how he prioritizes things. I mean, I think we're still recovering from COVID, and to me, this whole discussion of, of clean energy and um, and jobs and, and economic recovery all fits right together. And now is absolutely the right time to be um, talking about big bold plans and mm. uh, and how we can put people to work and keep people healthy. Um, I think they all fit together. So that's, I'm interested to see, interested to see how he prioritizes things because, you know, the, I think $1.9 trillion uh, recovery plan or whatever it is that he's, or stimulus plan that he's talking about. Um, I hope to, hopefully it includes, you know, substantial spending on clean energy and stuff. It would be my uh, dream scenario. So when you say spending on that, yeah, what it tell us a little bit more if your dream scenario, if Biden were listening to you, how do you what would you tell them to do? How do we move forward on that goal of de full decarbonization by 2035, as well as this this assistance with recovery um, from our uh, from COVID and from the the recession we've been going through? Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, there's still money left over from there's like 40 billion dollars left in the Department of Energy from one of the previous stimulus plans. I forget. It might even go back to like the hmm. the ARRA from like 2009. But there's money there that could be used for like research and development type stuff. Although, you know, to be frank, the, the research, the research and development isn't what we need. The technology is there. Wind and solar are cheap and just getting cheaper as it is because of market forces. So I don't think it's that we need money invested in um, renewable specifically. It's to me, it's, it's transmission as we talked about earlier is the biggest thing you can do just because of the nature of the federal government. And, and I think the commerce clause, I'm not a lawyer, but um, interstate commerce and all of that is, is regulated by the federal government. And so um, developing um, transmission paths, utilizing one thing that he's talked about is, I think this is in the, in the order as well, is, is um, using existing rights of way as in uh, high, you know, interstate highways and all of that to um, mm. use those mm -hmm. same corridors to, to put transmission in. Um, yeah, to come back to trans transmission is going to open up like the kind of the regional, um, the regional grids that we need to uh, integrate all this uh, wind and solar. So uh, to me, that's that kind of streamlining permitting, um, talking about, you know, where we can build transmission, how we can coordinate interregionally, how we can 
um, allocate costs, like the who pays for transmission is a serious problem. Um, it usually gets kind of stuck on the renewable energy developers and makes those projects look way more expensive than they actually are. So, um, so those are the sorts of things that, uh, you know, that I don't, that don't get talked about a lot outside of like wonky policy people. Um, but it's opening up those kind of, uh, those bureaucratic institutions you know we talk about red tape and, and sometimes there's lots of good red tape i think it is i think i'm a big fan of regulations uh, in in many ways but um there are ways to streamline things and kind of um yeah nate do you think this is it all just through administrative policy that this is accomplished is there a role for legislation uh what where do you think the the critical steps are yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it can be administrative in that regard. Um, as far as legislation, yeah, it's, it's going to be, um, it, I think it's maybe a renewable portfolio standard that says we're going to, we're going to produce 50% or 100% renewable energy, probably not 100%, but 100% um, clean energy, making that distinction. Um, you know, those are the sort of things that Congress can do, those kind of big policy directions uh, and, and, and maybe working with with FERC, the um, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, to um, you know that's that gets into the administrative stuff as well. But um, yeah, there, there's all sorts of alleys. I think that you know I would I would love to see Congress pass a, a renewable portfolio standard just because that is like the most clear signal you can send to industry that um, that we're gonna that. I guess the industry is already building it. It's the clearest signal you can send maybe to the general uh, economy that this is how things are going to go and that uh, companies should be investing in this um, and that, you know, all that kind of opens up um, private growth. So it's, you know, the, the industry is doing well, the market's driving uh, renewable energy where it needs to go. I don't think it's, it's that we need a big influx of um, federal, federal capital, although, uh, you know, favorable bonding and, and, um, grants and loans and those sorts of things are super helpful. So I think uh, that can help with transmission, that can help with developing renewables, you know, anything else. Um, yeah. Nate, we're, I want to take a detour here just for a brief second. I mean, we're talking about Biden administration moving forward, but you also spend a lot of time in different states urging legislatures to, to improve policy. Is, is there something that you think simultaneous to your wish list for the Biden administration that generally, you know, if you were putting your banner ad on the on a website, this one strange trick that states can do to promote clean energy, what is it? What do, what do you want to see from state legislatures uh, yeah. generally? Yeah, so the, I mean, the, the typical path for states that have, have looked at uh, um, moving forward on energy has been a renewable portfolio standard. I mean, that's like the simplest thing you can do is just say, um, our state's utilities are going to uh, produce 50% or 100% clean or renewable energy by such and such date, usually 2040 or 2050. Um, there are a lot of states have those now. Uh, there are still a few states in our region that are lacking. So um, I think that's easy, but we need to move beyond that. That's like a lot of the states that have already um, done that with even up to 100% clean energy are now like figuring out that they need to um, put in, in uh, interim targets, like kind of intermediary mile posts in between. Yeah. So that's, that's one thing, uh, you know, those kind of making those investments sooner, I think waiting till 2050 is, is, 
uh, risky. I think we want to be doing it sooner than that if we can. And so putting in those guideposts to make sure that those investments aren't getting delayed. Um, that's one aspect. And then I think the other is um, moving towards a regional market scenario, which a lot of this is specific to the to our region. <laughs> um, uh, most of the country operates like there's, you know, a few different um, what's called a regional transmission organization. And I'll try not to go too deep into the details of this, but you know, it's, it, it allows um, a region to operate their grid kind of as one. So it takes advantage of um, the diversity of resources. And we don't have that in the West. We don't have like from like Kansas to California, we don't have that situation. Um, whereas basically the rest of the country aside from the Southeast does. And so that would allow us to use like Northwestern hydro and southwestern solar and wyoming and colorado wind and all of those things um together in concert with one another to um to, to bring down the use of um natural gas right now and so uh, moving towards a regional market is like a big push in a lot of states we're seeing legislators legislatures start to talk about that and uh, it might just be a resolution even at this point to say like you know is that uh, encouraging the public utilities commission in, in a given state to direct their utilities to start moving in that direction and investigating how they can join a regional market. And so um, I think that's the, that would be the biggest, um, the biggest thing we could do kind of in our, in our direct region right now is, is really start making that push and it's being done. I mean, there's studies. And out of interest, what do you hear from legislators when you um, mention this to them in the, the different states? And it depends on the state for sure. Um, so uh, in, in, uh, in Colorado, in, um, let's see, Nevada, uh, it's, it's very positive. Both of those states are moving in that direction already. Um, Nevada, NV Energy, Nevada, Nevada Energy, kind of a sister utility to Pacific Corp, um, has talked a lot about it in their recent filings. Um, so they're, they're moving there. The legislators are, I think there's a bill in Nevada this year that would encourage them to move in that direction. I believe there was a bill last year, there's a bill this year that in Colorado that would do the same. One of the um, Colorado, there's kind of, there's two, there's two guys. There's a guy in uh, Nevada and a guy in Colorado, two senators, two state senators that are fantastic on these issues and have both really mm. pushed markets forward um, in those two states. And so, you know, in those states, it's, it's moving in the right direction and, and people are open to it. And um, in Utah, Utah's, I think, going to be an interesting case. We've, I, I presented to the legislature a few months ago, kind of on this topic. And um, I think I maybe presented it a little bit wrong and got into the, the renewable aspect a little too much and and you know they're they're not they're not there yet um but they are free market people and that's what we're talking about i mean we're talking about um utilizing least cost resources to uh to it'll make electricity cheaper and it'll make it cleaner um and so just got to sell it a little better so um yeah arizona utah i think we'll we'll get them in the in the future but uh it's you know there's still kind of that hesitancy especially in utah around um, coal and figuring out how to move forward from coal that's that's a big discussion in, in wyoming and utah um so we've, we've got to navigate that yeah there's i think i think their their mind those legislators minds are in the right place i mean they're they're all very very favorable to 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 free markets and so that's i mean that is what we're talking about um and so if we can convince them that that's a good thing in energy um and and that uh that you know coal doesn't really look all that good going into the future and and um 
that we're going to have to move away from it. You know, that that's kind of the linchpin, I think. And, and that's, uh, I'll tie that back into the, the broader discussion of the federal government there, that that would be another area where the Biden administration could do a whole lot is financing the transition away from um, coal and, and uh, helping to retire. What is, yeah, what does that look like when you say try transit or financing that transition? What do you mean by that? Yeah, so coal, obviously, uh, these plants, coal plants are very expensive to build and take, uh, let's see, 40, 50, 60 years to pay off. Um, and so that cost is, uh, is, you know, amortized over that entire lifespan. And so if uh, our utility finds that they're actually the, the CEO of one of the nation's largest utilities in Nextera Energy the other day said that he doesn't think there's a single economic coal plant in the country. Uh, so that's a good sign. Um, so, and I should mention Rocky Mountain Power by its own admission, probably not being fully transparent with figures here, has said that they have a, a ream of coal-fired power plants that are actually more expensive to operate today than to switch to, to solar or wind. Yeah, I was just on a call earlier about their integrated resource plan for 20 that'll come out in a couple of months. And I think my gut feeling is we're going to see some more retirements. I could be wrong on that, but I mm. think uh, I think they're headed in the right direction. So I, I give them credit for for moving in the right direction. Mm. Uh, you know, maybe a little bit slowly, but I think they're they're doing uh, they're I think they're ahead of the politics in a lot of these areas. I'll say that. Mm. Um, but as far as like the retirement aspect, you know, you've got to find a way to pay off the remaining um, value of a coal plant. So it's you know that can cost hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and a utility is not likely to retire an asset that they are going to need to pay for for the next 20 or 30 or 40 years. And so with the federal government or, or, you know, a state government also, that's, you know, they just don't quite have the same, they can't print money. <laughs> um, the, you know, the federal government can pretty much do this out of its pocket if they really wanted to. Um, they can finance that transition. They can say, we're going to, we're going to, essentially buy the debt of this old coal plant. Um, we're going to refinance it. Uh, the, the savings on the interest can actually, uh, so, so they'll, they'll re-secure the debt and this gets a little bit over my head, but they'll re-secure like the, the debt here and then pay a lower interest rate. And that decreased interest rate um, will go back, can go back into the community itself and start paying for, um, transition away from so for these communities where coal is kind of the um the name of the game for for the economy uh it can you know retrain people it can um pay for pensions it can it can pay for people to move if they have to move and, and find a new job elsewhere that's not the ideal situation but um the yeah the federal government could do a whole lot of uh good in that regard i think and that that might be one of the the bigger aspects if they can um, if we can get Congress to spend some money on it, I think uh, it's it's cheaper than you might think uh, would be my plug for that one. It's it's uh, I'm surprised cheaper to close these close these down and pay that off and pay people to to retire early or to to help them relocate than to keep yeah. running it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it is cheaper to it's cheaper to build a new wind or solar plant than it is to keep operating a coal plant at this time. Over if you if you put it out over time, if you mm -hmm. forecast that. Um, so there's not really a, a good reason aside from some of the reliability aspects to operate a coal plant. And, and that's a whole other discussion, but uh, we, we do not need to keep 
operating coal plants specifically for reliability. We can do that with batteries. We can do that with all sorts of other stuff. So um, yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting aspect that I kind of falls adjacent to my work is this whole transition aspect. But um, from, from my knowledge of it, it's uh, a thing that the, that the Biden administration could really do a lot of good work on and, and uh, I think make, make right for these communities. I mean, he's, Biden has talked about the, the need to take care of the workers that, that uh, essentially built our, um, our economy over the last you know, 100 years. These communities have been instrumental in, in propelling American industry to where it is today. Well, maybe, maybe today isn't, maybe 20 years ago or 30 years ago when, when we were really firing. But we can bring it back. I think that's the point is we can, um, with these investments, we can, we can be that that country again that's doing the um, really innovative work and uh, and has a you know a big industry that's producing wind turbines and solar and all this cool stuff um so that's that's kind of another piece right there yeah nate anything else uh this has been great i mean there's so much to cover with the biden administration any last thing that you're kind of looking forward to or you're hoping to see coming out of this administration Oh man, there's there's so there's so much good stuff happening. It's I think yeah, it's it's just like a weight off. Uh, I think this maybe this is just more of a general political statement. But I think it <laughs> feels like a weight off of our shoulders to me or my shoulders, um, as far as climate, as far as um, climate justice and, and criminal justice and you know equity and equality and all those things. And I think they all um kind of tie together and that i you know i'm not gonna I, I don't think biden is perfect he was not my first choice for president um but uh he was certainly not my last choice either and so i think um you know we can we can always keep pushing uh people to do better and the administration to do better uh, and i you know i hope people stay in, engaged because it's been it's been a roller coaster the last few years and it's easy to kind of um you know see that things are changing and that you know maybe Maybe I don't have to be as involved anymore. We're on the right track, but it's just as important as ever for people to stay engaged in, in politics and uh, you know keep pushing the administration and, and our local politicians in the right direction. So that's I, I guess I can leave that as my parting words. Yeah, don't uh, don't don't give up now. We've still got a long ways to go, but uh, things yeah. Are well, and it's exciting. It's exciting to see an administration that again I think to help people stay engaged and see they can make a difference, reward them, show them, you know, I'm willing to, to fight for you and I'll, and I'll push the policies that you want. And, um, you know, I just want to hit two that, that we haven't talked about, and this will be my final. Biden issued an executive order uh, that aspires to protect 30% of our lands and waters um, by 2030. And the federal government through the Forest Service, through the Department of Interior, the Bureau of Land Management, the National Park Service controls significant portions of our land mass um, here in the West. There's a lot that they could do to move forward on that. And uh, I think that'll play out in many interesting ways. I mean, uh, throw out some obscure policy. I'd love to see a return to the ability of the Bureau of Land Management to designate wilderness study areas. Yeah, um, I didn't realize they lost that, wow. Well, they gave it away. They yeah. they have it. Right. Um, they have the legislative authority granted to them, but they've they've abdicated okay. it, and that did not get fixed during the Obama administration. And I think it's time for the Biden administration to act. Uh, and you know, again, exciting bears ears. I didn't realize this until I went back to the executive orders, but 
he instructed the Secretary of the Interior to give him a report in 60 days uh, outlining what she thinks about that reduction in size. Right. And um, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to that report, but it's coming quick. I mean, two months yeah. we'll have something back and he seems to be set on, on moving forward quickly, which is super exciting. I mean, talk about something related to, to equity and to uh, Biden administration showing that uh, he's here to represent his voters. It's, it's an exciting time. It's, yeah, it's we've, really we've got to make sure Deb Holland gets, uh, gets confirmed because that's going to be huge. She's yeah. going to be one of the, I think, one of my favorite cabinet members. So uh, I'm excited for that, too. Um, Nate, uh, if people want to learn more uh, about your organization um, or about issues related to clean energy, do, where can they go? Yeah, I think uh, we're Interwest isn't the the best organization for for public education because we're more focused on the the industry piece. But mm -hmm. uh, you know, Sierra Club, uh, NRDC, Union of Concerned Scientists, Western Resource Advocates locally across the West is awesome. They actually, I'll, I'll leave it at that one. Yeah, WRA Western Resource Advocates, their website um, covers a lot of these topics on, on energy markets, and they also do. Um, clean air, clean water, all like they do all sorts of amazing work. So uh, I would check their website out and, uh, and that's how you're going to learn a lot about um, energy and environment in the West. I and mean, they're, they're like the experts. I, I turn to them for uh, a lot of my hmm. uh, more detailed policy uh, perspectives. So a lot of respect for what they're doing and, and they'll give cool. you a local perspective and they boil it down on some of the briefs and such they have on their website really, really well. So I was just reading some, material from them last night. So highly recommend uh, checking them out. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you for that plug, Nate. Thank you so much. Again, you've been watching O2 and U. I'm your host, David Garbett. If you want to learn more about our organization, O2 Utah, we're on uh, the web at o2utah.org and on the socials, check us out. Until um, next time, Nate, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Great. Thanks for having me. Look forward to it next time. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody.